Thank you. Thank you. It's a joy to be here. Um, Trinity, you have been uh, an amazing gift to me and my family, and I want to start today by saying thank you to you. I'm going to share a couple of stories today about my life over the past six months and highlight a few of the ways that the family here at Trinity has supported even our family as we've navigated difficulty and chaos and suffering in ways. Um, I want to say thank you uh, to the pastoral staff. Thank you, Pastor Antonia, for making us do some heart surgery already this morning. That was hard, right? Like if we start calling things to life in the midst of our worship, in the midst of our singing, oh man, I'm I'm already feeling like, oh, do I do I want to do that? Do I, God, can I trust you with this? I'm going to call it out, God. Uh, but thank you for doing that. And I'm so thankful for the the people of God sacrificing what they need to sacrifice for the sake, not of their own benefit, but for the sake of the glory of God in his kingdom. So thank you for letting me come and share today. So, so, so grateful. Um, I have the chance to walk alongside of pastors all over New York State by way of our network of Assemblies of God churches. And I just want to say, too, um, that it is an honor to be able to be friends with uh, Pastor David and Aaron and Antonia and the pastors here and the leadership here. And it and I'm honored to be able to stand in this place to be able to share God's word with you. So I would invite you to open up, if you have a Bible with you or a phone with a Bible on it, to the book of Philippians. We're going to go there in a moment, but just want to let you know, give you a little bit of a heads up as to where we're going. I'm going to pray before we get into this because I get distracted quick if I don't pray first. Jesus, help me. Father, we thank you for the chance to come together and hear from your word. I pray that you would cause us to be transformed by it and through it. God, every person in this room has come in from a different journey, a different uh, life being lived out. And Lord, I ask you to help us come together to know you more and hear from you today. Not from me, but from you. We praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. So this life can be brutal, can it? I mean, we've been in a series here. I've been following along with the series of community and how um, Pastor David has talked about life together in the royal priesthood. And, and in the midst of all of this, uh, as he asked me to prepare to be part of this, this series, the thing that I couldn't get away from was the fact that in this life, we will have suffering. And if community means anything to me in this season of life, it's the way that the citizens of heaven, the citizens of the household of God come together and ease the suffering of this world. And so today, as, as I dive into this talk, there's a quote from Ernest Hemingway I want to share with you that kind of resonated with me as I was praying, praying and preparing. He said this. This is from A Farewell to Arms. He wrote, The world breaks everyone, and afterward many are strong at the broken places, but those that will not break, it kills. It kills the very good and the very gentle and the very brave impartially. If you are none of these, you can be sure it will kill you. It will kill you too, but there will be no special hurry. This world is a dark place as much as it is a bright place of God's glory. And for many of us, we understand that to a deeper level than others do. And I know that today's message might not be for you right now, but it might be for you 10 years from now. It might be for you five years from now. I want to talk to you about how the brutality of life touched our family this past year and how it changed the form of words even that I speak. Have you ever had such an experience that it changes the way you sing songs, changes the way you read things, it changes the way you give and get hugs maybe, changes the way you listen? Well, that's what happened to me this past year and, and our family. Um, 
Last time I was here, I shared, uh, I would call it a rally cry with the church. And on January 7th of this year, it changed for me. Because I used to be able to say these words, and I'll say them in a minute, but I used to say them as a rally, almost like a rah-rah statement. It, it goes like this. I learned it as a teenager. It goes like this. God's on the throne. Satan's been defeated. And Jesus is coming again. And I would say it like, come on, people. Let's go. God's on the throne. Satan's been defeated and Jesus is coming again. And it had held me together for a lot of years and been, a, been an urgency in my heart of like calling that out in difficult moments. But on January 7th, I got a text message from my sister-in-law asking if I had heard from my older brother. And I immediately got concerned because Dan's a pretty detailed guy and he doesn't just get lost. And on January 7th, we found out that my brother had been in a head-on car accident. And I went to bed that night with a text message saying that he had a, they thought that he was in a local hospital. She hadn't had any details yet, but thought he had a broken leg and some issues. And so I went to sleep for a couple hours waiting for an update. And I woke up a few hours later with an update that my brother had been in a head-on car crash that, that sheared the vehicle he was driving and also sheared him, essentially. And he was in a surgical trauma ICU unit. And we didn't know if he was going to make it another minute. And when I got that text, I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like waking up to a room full of snakes. You don't know where to go. You don't know what to do. The next step could be the worst step. And you need somebody from outside of that moment to hold you together. That's what I'm talking to you about this morning. When all hell breaks loose in your life and the floor seems to be not just lava, but snakes, what do you do? call for help. Somebody from the outside. I love the way Melissa said it. The community depends on us, not just to give our treasures, but to represent God to them. And so I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but I want you to remember where I'm coming from this morning. It's not a matter of God's on the throne. Satan's been defeated. Jesus is coming again. Hoo-ha. No, it's my heart saying God's on the throne. Lord, where are you? Satan's been defeated. It doesn't feel like it. And Jesus is coming again. Yeah, well, you try to tell me Jesus is coming again. How about right now? Come right now, Jesus. Coming soon or again doesn't matter to me when my brother's in ICU. And I know that that kind of suffering has touched many in this room. If it hasn't yet, just hang on. Probably will. Not probably, it will. If it hasn't touched you or your family, it will touch somebody you love and care about. So today I want to talk to you about what it means to carry the tension for each other. What it means to be citizens of heaven in the sense that Jesus didn't just step in to show us what heaven looks like, but he showed us, he's showing us and showed us what earth ought to look like. Citizens of heaven are people who we can turn to when all hell breaks loose. And we can call to for help when things are in total chaos. It's a light way to start Sunday morning, right? It's real life. I, I, I'm not here to talk to you about, like, fake life, all right? You, you go, go to social media for that. Let's talk about real life, real difficulties. It hits us. And if my faith can't carry me through those suffering, difficult moments, and if the people of God abandon me in those moments, then what good is it? So today, 
What if the kingdom of God wasn't just a place that we hoped in far off in the future, but it was a people that walked into our lives and carried the hope that we needed deeply in our most desperation of days? What if the people of God carried the stability we needed into our hearts? What if the people of God were able to support us in scarcity and give us the things that we need when we can't provide them for ourselves? I'm getting ahead of myself. What is a citizen of God anyway? What is it made of? Right? There's been a lot of talk about, um, and I'm not going to get into any of the current affairs on the news, but I am going to say this. There's been a lot of talk about Constitution and Bills of Rights lately. And uh, I think we would do very well to focus on the Bill of Rights for the citizens of heaven. And what it means when somebody places their faith in Christ, that they have been incorporated into that community. And I I read scripture, and um, I want to recognize, too, that the citizens of a new culture, a citizen of a new country, uh, it takes time to learn that, doesn't it? Like I, uh, ref, I heard a lot about refugees and kind of heard sermons on the likelihood, the, the connections between refugee life and the life of a Christian in the world. And the thing I take away from that is, man, it's hard and it takes time to learn a different culture. And when we place our faith in Christ and we begin to learn about what it means to be in that household, it takes time to figure things out. It takes time and patience of those around us to realize what does it mean to be part of the citizens of this kingdom. And so Paul the Apostle wrote a bunch of the New Testament. He helps us out by kind of laying out what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven and who are we with. So I would call these kind of the, the rights of a citizen of heaven. You have the right, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you have the right to be buried with Jesus. <laughs> It sounds so great, doesn't it? Yes! I have the right to be buried. Well, that is great because it means all the sins that you have committed are able to die and be buried with him. It means that when he went to the cross, you went with him. You were crucified. You have the right of crucifixion with Jesus. You have the right of being with him as he walked the road to Calvary. You have the right to be united with him in his death so that you can have the right to live with him in his life. Good news. It's past, present, and future. You have the right of inheritance. We are heirs with Christ. We have the right to suffer with him. We have the right to be glorified with him. And this is kind of like, I call this the suffer sandwich that Paul wrote in, in, in chapter 8 of Romans, verse 17. He talks about us being heirs with Christ, suffering with him, and glorying with him. It's like we couldn't handle just the suffering uh, at once, so he had to kind of package it in between the good stuff. But I'll be honest with you, I hate suffering. Anybody else? Anybody, yeah, a couple of us. Okay, all the rest of you that you love suffering, fine, go for it. Us, we'll just hang out in here. You go face the suffering that you enjoy. I don't like it. I don't like it at all. And I, and I have to deal with it because it's part of it, but how about today we just decide we're not going to suffer anymore? Does that work? Are we all in? All in favor, say aye. Those opposed, same sign, right? Yeah, got quiet real quick. You're like, I'll take no suffering. Thank you very much. You know what stinks? You know what I hate the most is that suffering has proven itself to be useful for me long term. I don't like that. I don't like that whatsoever. I wish there was another way for suffering 
to, for what happens in me through the suffering to happen, but God quite hasn't figured it out yet. I keep talking to him about it, but he hasn't figured it out. We also have the right to have the same form with Christ. Um, anybody like me just chasing the ever, ever impossible six-pack? Anybody? I'm talking about the six-pack on your belly, right? Like, okay, I don't know what you guys are thinking. I'm talking about the six-pack on your belly. Um, listen, I'm, I go to the gym. I'm all, over, like, I'm trying to stay mobile, trying to heal the herniated discs in my low back, trying to figure out, like, how to just stay flexible. And I have to remember that all of this body mobility is temporary and that there is a future full presence of a glorified body that I can have with Christ. That really means that you will, you have the right, if you place your faith in Christ, you have the right of a glorified body just as Christ has now, we have forever. It's a right of those who are part of that household of God. And lastly, to be conformed with Christ to be conformed into his image and with him as he is so going, so we go. These verses give us an idea of what it means or, or what is the DNA or the, the constitution of the citizens of heaven. And I get the idea as I read through Paul's messages that we're really supposed to be with Jesus, unified with him. Like we're supposed to participate daily in the past experience of his death, burial, and resurrection, and enjoy it, and also participate daily with him in the future hope of glory, but also today, right now, walk in the fullness of his presence, in his aliveness, the Spirit of God in us. And that, to me, is hard to deal with. It's hard to do. I would rather there just be, like, a place that we go to, that we fill up our cups with, like, Jesus mocha, java juice, and we literally just drink it, and then now I'm powered up for the week. That's what I would rather. But that's not what God's plan was. God's plan was that moment by moment, day by day, the citizens of his kingdom would learn to rest and trust in him, and that by way of doing that, the kingdom itself would come into creation, would reinfuse life and strength and wholeness into the darkness of this world. Jesus didn't just step into this world to show us what heaven looks like. He showed us what earth ought to look like. And he gave us a plan of action for that. He said, my spirit, I have to go so my spirit can be with you, so that wherever you go, I'm with you. And so that as we go, we bring the kingdom of God with us. I started asking myself the question as I wrote this message, well, yeah, but where is it? Like, is it in my prayer closet? Anybody ever heard that, that Christianese? There's a prayer closet in your house. You're like, Where? Is there a door that I haven't found yet? I need to find it. No. Uh, this idea that we stop and find a place of sacred honor for God, and we just pause. Even if it's for two minutes in the morning, we honor God with our time, and we say, God, okay, I'm going to set this, side aside, this time aside. That, is that heaven? No. Is it waiting till heaven comes to earth, like a, like a fall from the sky, it becomes heaven? No. God, where is heaven? Where is it? Where's the place I need to go to? And I saw in Scripture that the Pharisees actually asked that same question to Jesus. And this was helpful. In Luke 17, verses 20 to 21, the Pharisees say to Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Because they're thinking like me, it's a place. It's coming. When will it? When will it be here, Jesus, if you're so smart? And he says, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, Java juice. For the kingdom of God is already among you. 
Now, Jesus says the kingdom of God isn't here or there. It's already among you. And when he says that, I picture him going like, it's already among you. Jesus says, I'm here, and as a result, I'm bringing with me the kingdom of God. And all my followers that come after me, they will do the same thing as they bring the presence of God with them into the places and spaces that they work, love, live, and suffer. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Good news, Scripture has for us some clear instructions. Above all, in Philippians 1, 27 through 29, Scripture says, Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come to see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit, get that, standing together with one spirit, with one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Not frightened by your opponents. By the way, this is kind of my condensed version here. So if you want the full, the full 27 to 29, go and read it. But it says, not frightened by your opponents, but giving not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also of suffering for him. Ugh. Don't want it. But it's here. And it's good news. So together we stand in one spirit for one purpose to suffer for him. I like to tie together images of how this is supposed to play out in my life. And thankfully, there's a pretty clear story of how this played out in Jesus' life with citizens of heaven alongside of him. In John 11, there's a story about a guy named Lazarus. And I know this might be a well-known story for some, and maybe you're even thinking like, oh, Jeremiah, I've heard this story. I could tell it for you. Um, but hold off. Just, let's talk about it later. Um, Lazarus is dying. His sisters are grieving his soon-coming death, and they know Jesus well. They send a message to Jesus, and they say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is sick and he's dying. Can you come, please, and pray for him? Because we know you can heal him. And here's what we see in this story. Now, we see a bunch of different things and different people doing different things. The disciples do some things that aren't so great. And by the way, let me just say, like, Let's feel for the disciples for a second. What if your life lived, was scribed for the rest of history to read about the moments that you did great and the moments where you totally blew it? Anybody want to sign up for that? Yeah, me either. We read the disciples' stories and we're like, idiot. <laughs> what was he thinking? And then we walk off and do the same thing. And we go back, okay, I got it. Thank God that wasn't on social media. So we see in this story moments where the disciples even say to Jesus, we don't want to go back there because we might die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They all know Lazarus is about to die and that Jesus can heal him. But in the midst of the option to go back, they realize there is a place where we're going to be attacked. We don't want to go there. So let's just let Lazarus die and not worry about it. That's what they're saying. One of them gets kind of sarcastic, Thomas. And he's like, yeah, yeah, Jesus, we'll go. We'll just all die. Scripture literally tells us this moment where I'm like, it's hard not to put sarcasm on there. I'm sorry if it's heresy, but I do that sometimes. I read it, and I'm like, oh, that could totally be me. Yeah, Jesus, let's go. We'll just die along the way. Thanks. That's great. I guess this is how the story ends. So they're saying these things, and the whole time Mary and Martha are suffering together with their community 
the soon coming death of their brother Lazarus. He's sick unto death. And here's the verses that stood out to me as I read over this in preparation for today. It kind of really threw me. It's John 11, verses 5 and 6. Jesus just gets the message about Lazarus' sickness. And the verses say, So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. Now, that's easy to read if you know the end of the story. But if you're at the scene of the accident and you see the pieces of your brother's car and you see the shredded vehicle that he was in and you're wondering if he's going to make it another minute and all you have to hang on to is God's on the throne, Jesus is coming again, Satan's been defeated. I don't take comfort in the love of God that's not running to fix the thing that I see as a problem. So as I read that verse and I see Mary and Martha trying to figure out what they're going to do with their dead brother, and I see that Jesus loves them and he doesn't move towards them, I'm confused. Because that's not the kind of love I want. I want the kind of love that runs to me whenever, wherever, and however I demand it. So we know the end of the story. We know the end of Lazarus's story. Jesus gets there, and he does end up overcoming the death of Lazarus. And he says, and you've heard it maybe in dramatic form, Lazarus, come forth. And the, there's been videos. I remember Carmen back in the day, this whole thing about it. It was like, well, yeah, the building rattles. It's like, yeah, fantastic. Well, hang on a second. These poor sisters sat there and watched their brother die. And Jesus was, out of love, letting it happen. Letting the grave clothes be wrapped around their brother and letting him be carried to the tomb and letting the stone be rolled over it and letting them weep and the whole time loving them. What? That doesn't make sense to me. And Jesus shows up. And here's where the story gets real for me and it, it, hopefully it gets real for you. Jesus shows up and he gets there and, he, and he's outside the city and they tell him plainly, Lazarus has died. And Jesus talks to the sister and he says, you know, Lazarus will be alive again. And she's like, I know, I know, I know we're all going to be resurrected in the end days. And, and Lazarus will come back just like we did, and, or we will. And he goes, yeah. And I think in that moment, Jesus would have left it alone and just been like, okay. But something happens. I think in the story something happens and Jesus just gets angry. People are like, where were you? And he's not trying to prove his reputation powerful because that's already been done. But I picture him angry at death. Anger at suffering. Anger at the tears that he sees his friends shedding. And he looks at the tomb and he begins to rage cry. And he looks at the tomb and he says... No. No. And when I'm, I need that Jesus. Just to be honest and real, I need the Jesus that gets angry at death. And I need him to be standing with me at the intersection 
where my brother's car got hit and be weeping with me and knowing this sucks. I don't know the end of the story yet. I need to know that you're with me. Our friends in the community that are suffering, our friends in this church that are suffering, they don't need you to fix the problem. They don't need you to find the answer. They need you to be with them in the midst of their suffering. Jesus knew, frustratingly so, that they needed him with them more than they needed even the answer to their prayer. So Jesus is with them in their difficulty and their suffering. In the midst of this moment, as I see Jesus walking with them and calling Lazarus forth. And by the way, Lazarus doesn't make it, in case you're ever wondering. Like, it'd be cool if we were like, hey, Lazarus has come to town this, this year to talk about the story back in 0 AD where he didn't die, but he actually still ended up dying. And so we have that to deal with. And in the midst of our story, we have the suffering to walk through with others. And so as we see loved members of the household of God suffering through sickness and death and suffering through the difficulties of loss and suffering through these things, then we as a people, <laughs> we as a people, we as the people of the, citizen, of the citizens of the household of God are called to bring stability in times of suffering. It's our role to come alongside of those who are having hardships and bring the kingdom of God to them by way of our understanding of how Jesus is with us. It's our role to share in the suffering. Maybe sometimes just shut up and listen. Maybe sometimes just to sing for others when they can't sing for themselves. I remember soon after my brother's accident, I sat in the back row of this room. I came in and sat on the farthest back right chair because I didn't want, did, honestly, can I be honest with you this morning? I didn't want to be here. And I sat there and I thought, I can't sing any of these songs. I can't hear any of this message. I don't want what's being offered. And when I stood up during the singing time, I heard the voices of people singing who I knew had been through things far greater and far more difficult than I was going through. And it built the scaffolding I needed around my heart to take one more step. And so sometimes bringing stability in the midst of suffering is simply being grateful for the things that God has given you and brought you through so that others can be encouraged by your dependency on God. Another way that we bring the citizenship or the kingdom of heaven to earth is by supporting in times of scarcity. We're talking about, you know, socks and shoes, right? Seems like such a simple thing that we could just go and buy a $10 pair of socks, new socks, maybe a couple pairs of shoes if you can, or a pair of shoes and bring them in and give them. But that's what the kingdom of God is about, satisfying the needs of a broken world in real and tangible ways so that he would be glorified with and through us. It's also building up, building up in times of scarcity of confidence. Saying simple words like, I believe in you. You're a man made in God's image, and I believe that this week you can reflect that. You're a woman made in the image of God. You're a daughter of the king. Speaking words of life over people as they go through scarcity of their own confidence. 
remembering your constitution of a citizen of the kingdom, remembering what you have been given by him and offering that to others. Being a citizen means bringing hope in times of despair. I love the way that Sally Lloyd-Jones talks about this aspect of what we bring in the Jesus Storybook Bible. She says, one day all the sad things will be made untrue. And as citizens of heaven, we can rest in that, not in a cliche way, right? Because that almost can become just like a, a phrase that you throw at somebody who's going through a hard time. Don't worry, one day all the sad things will be untrue. Yeah, well, hey, that one day doesn't work for me now. So there's a care and a concern for people in real time, in real moments, that we go, I'm sorry. In our minds, we know that there is a good renewal on its way, but we can stand as scaffolding around them, holding them up in the midst of those moments. I've seen mothers in emergency rooms who were losing even full physical stability as a result of a loss of a child. And I've seen the beautiful impact of someone simply being with them in their worst. I hate that suffering is what God has to use or is using. I don't know what it means and I'll spend the rest of my life trying to figure out what it means. But I know that the suffering of this life is miraculously used for God's glory and our good. And sometimes that means just helping somebody walk from one chair to another when they can't hold themselves up. This morning, I want to share with you the, the story of my brother. The end of the story with Dan doesn't really matter, honestly, but it matters. It matters because he's a father, he's a husband, and he's a citizen of heaven. And when the surgeon walked out of the operating room and said, all we can do now is pray, and every one of his abdominal organs was shredded and had to be pieced back together, and he had multiple skull fractures, and when his vertebrae were all broken and they tried to piece things back together, the surgeon says, all we can do now is pray, the top, top trauma surgeon in the top trauma region of the Northeast did his very best and laid that declaration out to the family. And by the way, you're probably going to want to put paperwork in order. Six months later, good news, like Lazarus, Dan has been reassembled by God. He's been fit back together in miraculous small ways and miraculous big ways. He's alive and he's able to return to work. But I want to be careful with that because I realize that's not how every story ends. I have another brother, my brother-in-law, who was in a motorcycle accident 10 years ago. His story ended drastically different. He's still in a wheelchair. He's still a quadriplegic. His bones have not been mended back together. And the reason I share these parallel stories to you in contrast is that we can rejoice 
in the healing power of God as he calls forth those from the grave, and only him can do it. But we can also, at the same time, carry the suffering brother who is still in the wheelchair and say the same God that did the healing over here, he's with us in the brokenness here. And the citizens of the kingdom of God are the only ones on this planet that have the capacity to do that. That's you. That's me. I want to invite the band to come up as we close today. And I want you to, I know I'm, I'm going long. I apologize for that. I, I, this is, this is a, uh, the first time I've shared some of this in public. And I, my compulsion is to ask you to ask the Holy Spirit what you would do with this message. I believe that the Holy Spirit can speak to us in about what we ought to do, what the application would be. Like I said, Jesus came to show us not just heaven, but he came to show us what earth ought to look like. So as we walk out of this place, and some of you, you're in the midst of suffering right now. You're literally like, I don't even want to hear from the Holy Spirit. I get it. So maybe this is just a moment of quiet reflection for you to weep. Others of you, you're going, man, I've been through some stuff. Jeremiah, and I need to just hear from God what he wants me to do next. And some others of you, this message isn't even for you. It's for you five years from now. So maybe you just need to go and download the, the message today and then play it back to yourself when things get horrible. But I want to encourage you, 15 seconds, 15 seconds tops, close your eyes, and with me, if you would, pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, what would you have me do with this message today? And Listen. Jesus, I thank you that we don't carry the burden for the broken world. We simply carry you in our hearts, in our lives. We, by faith, walk in you. And the beauty of that is, really, you carry us. In our most broken moments, we rest in you, we trust in you, in our most renewed and joyous moments. We rest in you. We trust in you. And God, I pray that this morning you would give each person in this room a clear understanding of your deep and abiding love for them. I pray that you would give every person in this room a deep understanding of your desire for their good and your glory. And God, I pray that you would connect us together in ways that hold each other up like scaffolding in the matrix of your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to trust in you as we walk with one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand as we sing one last song together?